Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, General Jonathan Vance avoids a criminal record after pleading guilty to obstruction of justice. I myself am, am extremely disappointed. I, I can't imagine how uh, the, the women in this, in this case are, are feeling. They came forward with such incredible strength and bravery. And uh, I, I don't know if they feel that this is the justice that they, they deserve. The government defends its decision not to offer all Ukrainians coming to Canada the same supports as typical refugees. One of the things that's difficult to assess is uh, the needs of different groups who are going to be arriving. Typically when we're bringing people in as refugees, we, uh, when we are selecting people on the basis of their vulnerability, we know that they're going to need extensive supports. With the situation in Ukraine, there are some people who are going to have that same level of vulnerability, and there's others who may not need the same scale of services. And the opposition lays out its priorities for the coming federal budget. Fighting inflation, getting spending under control, alleviating the tax burden on Canadians. These are things I'm looking for. It's Thursday, March 31st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by... Christy Kirkup of the Globe and Mail. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Mark. So General Jonathan Vance has pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice, which um, I know is not satisfying to a lot of people who have been observing this process, um, but it is an outcome to uh, what has been a long and, and protracted and only one example of an allegation of misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces and the senior ranks of Canada's military. So what's been the reaction to this and and ultimately what does it mean? You know, I think this was a big moment to see uh, Canada's former top soldier um, plead guilty to um, a serious criminal charge of obstruction of justice. Um, He was granted a conditional discharge by the court, um, and he's going to have to adhere to certain conditions in order to not have a criminal record, and that includes things like a year of probation and 80 hours of community service. But, you know, this, uh, I think, case uh, illuminated um, the fact that there were questions essentially about the conduct of uh, the former chief of defense staff. So essentially that you know, these concerns about misconduct go, go all the way up to the, the highest uh, rank. Um, and uh, there was an agreed uh, statement of facts um, that were part of this conditional discharge as well. Essentially, uh, Jonathan Vance acknowledging that he called um, uh, uh, subordinate Major Kelly Brennan multiple times, trying to convince her not to accept the full extent of their relationship to military police. Um, and so I think this case, again, highlights that, um, you know, perhaps this is uh, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, in terms of some of the misconduct allegations that we've heard about. Um, Jonathan Vance's case was very much part of the kind of political um, firestorm, if you will, uh, that played out over the last year. There have been, um, you know, numerous questions raised in the House of Commons, uh, parliamentary committees looking at kind of the broader issue of sexual misconduct in the military. And just to cast it forward, if I can, Mark, there is something coming soon, and that is a report from a former Supreme Court Justice, Louise Arbour, who is tasked with an, an external review of the Canadian Armed Forces and the Department of National Defense. Uh, her recommendations will be with an eye towards an external oversight mechanism 
Um, and uh, this is a process that has uh, taken, again, since she began it last April. And this will be really critical because the Liberal government has faced numerous questions, not only about the conduct of Jonathan Vance, but other senior-ranking military officers who are subject to allegations, and frankly, the extent to which they have acted or not acted, the opposition believes they have not acted, including on a 2015 report by another Supreme Court Justice, Marie Deschamps. So again, there will be this kind of political pressure, if you will, once the Arbor report comes uh, for the Liberal government to really take this on and ensure that there's a mechanism outside the chain of command Uh, finally, which has long been called for, in order to try and address um, some of these allegations and, again, have a a better mechanism instead of people having to um, go to their superiors um, and, uh, of course, the complications that come along with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Great insights on that. Uh, Thank you, Christy. And and let's turn to uh, what's happening with Ukrainians who are coming to Canada. The government is saying, the Minister of Immigration, Sean Fraser, is saying that uh, the government uh, remains committed to welcoming Ukrainians and their families, and and ex- they're they're saying they're expanding support for Ukrainians coming to Canada. But there are people saying it doesn't go far enough. So, what's the latest on that? Yeah, I think that again, this has become quite a political pressure point uh, for the Liberal government because there have been many Ukrainians, um, to your point, who have applied to come to Canada um, and are doing so under a special visitor visa program. Essentially, that would allow them uh, to work and study for three years. Um, And so far, about 60,000 Ukrainians and uh, their family members have applied to come to Canada under that program. Um, Another 12,000 have come under a traditional immigration stream since um, early this year, since uh, January. And the immigration minister has essentially talked about some of the challenges. For example, he says that that includes trying to figure out how much support um, they're going to need when they arrive. Um, that the UN um, HCR, the United Nations Refugee Agency, estimates four million um, people have fled Ukraine in the last five weeks, which is truly an extraordinary number if you think about that. So, essentially, he was telling reporters um, uh, after emerging from a Liberal caucus meeting that you know typically when Canada brings people in as refugees, he says that you know they're selecting people on the basis of their vulnerability. Um, uh, and, uh, of course, you know, there, there is an acknowledgement, of course, that um, Canada is going to be need to they're going to need to be there to, to help. Um, but he said with the situation in Ukraine, there are some who have a level of vulnerability, but they also um, essentially need to find out uh, what the scale of services are that are, are going to be required. So, again, you know, this um, kind of call for Canada to do more, a very fluid situation, of course, with the situation on the ground with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I don't think this will be going away, um, to be frank, anytime soon for the government, um, even as, again, they process more individuals uh, to come to Canada and essentially to to seek refuge here from this dire situation um, that uh, Ukrainians are fleeing from. All right. It is one week until Budget Day. 
in Canada. Next Thursday, April the 7th, uh, will be Budget Day. Um, what are you hearing? Uh, we, we heard from the opposition yesterday about the need to address inflation. Um, what are you hearing about what will be in Christia Freeland's budget? Yeah, I think there'll be a, a few things to watch for. Um, you know, when she announced uh, the, the date of the budget, the finance minister and deputy prime minister, you know, talked about some of the themes, of course, growing the economy, making life more affordable, um, you know, and ensuring that no one gets left behind. Those aren't meant to sound like, you know, those are her talking points. But, you know, essentially, these are, are some of the kind of um, umbrella um chapters, if you will, that, that we'll be watching for because, um, you know, there obviously is a lot of economic uncertainty right now. And specifically, um, some of those forces do tie into the uncertainties that um, are, are kind of essentially brought to bear because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, um, and of course, the Canadian economy has been under a lot of stress in the last two years with the pandemic. One area in particular, I would say that a lot of people will be watching for, again, related to kind of this dialogue about what's been happening in Europe, is this question about um, a boost to Canada's defence budget. Um, we've seen the Prime Minister get a lot of questions, um, including during his travels in Europe, about you know this call from NATO um, for all members to spend at least 2% of their GDP on defence, and Canada falls short of that at around 1.39% of its GDP on defense. Um, Trudeau has suggested, of course, that the current situation uh, does mean that um, you know Canada does need to do more. He has not explicitly said though, that Canada will get up to that 2% total of uh, spending as called for by NATO. And so, again, I think a lot of people will be looking to see how far is the government willing to go with regards to, uh, again, defence spending, which has been a big topic of conversation. And then, of course, there's the dynamic of the agreement with the New Democrats, the so-called supply yeah. and confidence agreement that was just announced. And those kind of got into to some of those kind of key themes, like, you know, this um, uh, you know push for a national dental care program, which was one of the big ticket items that actually got the NDP to sign on to kind of working with the government for the next three years until 2025. Also, National Pharmacare. Um, so these are some of the kind of things that I think a lot of um, experts will be watching for uh, to find out if at least we, you know, can, can get a little bit more um you know, meat on the bone, if you will, in terms of how far the government is willing to go with some of those uh, federal um, spending initiatives. All right. Great stuff. Christy, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on all of this with us today. Thank you, Mark. That's Christy Kirkup of The Globe and Mail. I myself am, am extremely disappointed. I, I can't imagine how uh, the, the women in this, in this case are, are feeling. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Sabrina Maddow argues Canadians should be disgusted that Jonathan Vance has gone free. Maddow writes, Canada's justice system doesn't work for women, but it certainly works for the elite and the powerful. The ongoing saga of retired general and ex-defense chief Jonathan Vance is a prime example of how our courts fail the vulnerable while tipping the scales of justice in favor of the wealthy, the decorated, and the male. What happened Wednesday isn't justice, but yet another disturbing example of how deep the rot goes in Canada's institutions. 
It's not just the military that's broken, it's also our justice system at large. At cbc.ca, Aaron Huery argues, Canada's new climate plan demonstrates the price we pay for procrastination. Huery writes, The abiding lesson of climate policy is that avoiding reality doesn't make anything easier. Lower emissions for oil and gas in 2030 might be easier to envision now had action been taken sooner. One might gaze wistfully at the climate plan that Stephen Harper's government tabled in 2008. There may be some risk in trying to act too fast, but the simple math of climate change is even harder to avoid now. If Canadian leaders don't move as boldly as possible in the short term, it might be just that much harder to reduce emissions later. In the Hill Times, Tim Powers argues Jason Kenney is fighting to keep dancing to the tune he composed. Powers writes, Kenny will have some form of reckoning coming after April 9th, and he is here because of his own doing. He likes to win daily fights as comprehensively as he can without regard for his opponents. He likes to have his hands in everything and prefers to assume he is the smartest person in the room. Often when mistakes are made, his instinct is to defend them instead of acknowledging the error. And he becomes so focused on generating distraction that he forgets what steady leadership is about. Kenny is a whirling dervish of political intrigue. Will he be spun out or spin his way out of the spot he finds himself in? To be determined. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting and attend question period before meeting with a delegation of deputies from the Parliament of Ukraine. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will speak at the plenary opening of the third and final day of Globe Forum 2022. Treasury Board President Mona Fortier will announce new actions to help reduce the regulatory and administrative burden for business and facilitate trade. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller will announce support for the construction of a new cultural centre in Mile Ranch, B.C. And Governor-General Mary Simon will undertake an official visit to Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March 31st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.